Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. All right, good evening, everybody. We got some uh, late arrivals tonight, but we'll get rolling here. And so thank you for being here. Thanks for coming out. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, you never know. Uh, maybe maybe there'll, some, there'll be a question pops up that will just spend the whole time on one question. Won't even get to the outline. Who knows? But that's okay. Let me uh, open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come here tonight wanting to learn, wanting to know know you more. Lord, That's I know that's what one of the prayers uh, that Paul prayed in Philippians, that uh, that, uh, that the church would increase in knowledge, and we assume that, would, that means increase in knowledge of you. And uh, but Lord, we want to know more about your, your documents, your, your scripture, your word. Tonight we come to the question of authority of scripture. And uh, Lord, we, we ask for grace to make sense of it and apply it to our life. What, what does it mean for us to be under authority of, of Scripture? Lord, give us uh, your, your heart in this, your, your truth in this. We want to be people that uh, glorify you and, and, and worship you and honor you and, uh, and walk with you uh, rightly, Lord, and truly and um, with integrity. So show us what that means and and, and all that all that entails. So we, we turn over this class to you. We ask for those still coming to keep them safe, get them here safely, and uh, bless our class tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Hey, come on in. Front rows open. Popcorn, Kim? Oh, there's, there's bowls. There's so there's bowls in the cupboard there. Yeah. Oh, you brought cookies too. Woohoo! Cookies up there. Popcorn. Coffee. We'll make more. Get some water if you need some water. But thank you, everybody, for being here. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and we have to finish the bag tonight. Hi. Good evening. Well, uh, uh, <clears throat> Welcome. Does everybody have a, a, a packet in front of you? Does everybody get kind of an outline of tonight's class? Good. Uh, a few a few classes ago, we talked about, or maybe it was last class, I can't remember. We talked about uh, sources of human authority. What, what do people appeal to? What do people look for uh, when they're making decisions or, or life comes about? How do, they, how do they decide how to live? 
And so we, we came up with, and I, I don't think I got, I, I should have taken a picture of it when we wrote it all down, but here's some of the ones I remember. Sources of authority in people's life or what they look to. Uh, we talked about tradition, you know, and that can, be, that can be religious tradition, that can be family tradition, that can be their own tradition. Uh, uh, people's experiences, people appeal to their, exper their experience or other people's experience. My friend, when this happened, they, they did this, or they made that choice and this happened, right? So experiences, people, uh, and so I'm going to uh, make this decision based on those experiences, or, or reason. Reason was a, uh, a big thing in the Enlightenment. I think so, uh, he mentions it in his big book somewhere, I can't remember where, but the Enlightenment was uh, when, when we moved from a, from a, maybe a biblical worldview or even a Christian worldview to a, a, a worldview that said reason was the most important source of authority, our, our logic, our way of understanding the world. And that's where a lot of the scientific worldview kind of flowed out of, reason. Uh, and so even today, uh, what's your source of authority? People say science is, or, or my logic is. My, my, my intellect is a source of authority. Or maybe I go to YouTube and YouTube's my authority. Yeah. Or something like that, right? I, I, I went to YouTube the other day and I fixed my dishwasher. It was a source of authority for me. Praise God. Cost me nothing. <laughs> okay, so feelings. How, how do you see that playing out today uh, as a source of authority? What do people say? What well, feels good? It, yeah, it, it feels good. Feels good. Uh, may, well, like uh, how, how else might they use feelings as a as a criteria of making decisions? What, what's a common thing they say? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Yeah. Why should I get married to that person? I've got a gut feeling. I, I, my heart says so. Right. Right, and so yeah, that's that's uh, that, that's part of it, right? Fall in love, and but people are making big decisions. Uh, should I invest in that stock? Well, yeah, because it feels right. <sighs> Scary, right? Those those kind of things. So other other culture, uh, yeah, our culture is a source of reference, a source of authority in many many ways. Um, society. Uh, there's, there's probably some differences there. And of course, family. Mama told me to. And mama's like that one. <laughs> or daddy told me to, right? Can you think of other sources of authority that are not God or not the Bible? I think, like, peers, friends. Yeah, there you and go. I know you said religious tradition, but religion. Yeah, for sure. Like a uh, horoscope, for instance. Mm -hmm. Horoscopes are a big... Uh... Hey, Dave. Horoscopes are a big part of this, uh, this, this kind of world that we live in today. I think, uh, boy, uh, on, on Instagram or, or different places like that, uh, on social media, hundreds of millions of dollars are being made on, on horoscopes these days. People sell in the future kind of a deal. So, so uh, anything else that sources of authority? Um, there's a lot of New Age beliefs. One of them is... Um Something like the secret, if you think it hard enough, not saying anything about prayer, if you think it hard enough, you can make it materialize. Okay. Yeah. Government. I don't know what that Government. Was. Yeah. And so, yeah, the New Age, um, 
and the different emanations of that and in government, right, is a big source of authority these days. Uh, the CDC recommendation says, so I'm going to live like this, or the Treasury says this, interest rates, so I'm going to live like this. So a lot, a lot of authorities, and we could probably come up with, with more. Come up with more authorities. Hey, guys. Hey, come on in. No, you're fine. There's, uh, you can pull up some seats, or there's some up front here. Are there some back there, too? You guys are good. Glad you're here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. The Buena Vista crew. We'll get your autograph later. <laughs> so we're talking about in, in the world today, there's all kinds of sources of authority, and we just listed some here that people go to, like they, they look at as authoritative uh, for making decisions or making life choices or or all kinds of different reasons, truth, finding truth. They, they say that uh, reason, I'll find uh, truth and reason or in society or family. So there's all kinds of different uh, sources of authority present. Um, I, 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 I kind of went, I, I went nerdy today and I, it might not make sense to you, but uh, I, I wanted to run down this path of, of thinking about worldviews and thinking about truth. Cheryl. Uh, oh, you guys, you need another one? They're good. They're good. Thank you, Cheryl. Yep. Everyone got one? Okay. I'll give you my last one. Oh, good. Just kidding. <laughs> but I, I wanted to think, when we think about uh, authority, uh, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in this, but I, I did list the, some, some worldviews here. Christianity and naturalism. And I got this out of an old book about, and, and I, I put it down in the references at the bottom, The Universe Next Door. Uh, it's a worldview catalog. Um, the, the Christianity and, and naturalism. Let, let's look at that just to see the differences therein. Um, and and th this gets at our, our idea of authority, or, or how, how do we see things as authoritative. Uh, Christianity. Could someone read that, that bullet list for me, please? On, on page one, under two views of the world. The Christianity part. God is infinite and personal, transcendent and imminent, omniscient, sovereign, and good. God created the cosmos, ex nihilo. I don't know what that is. To operate with the uniformity of natural causes in an open system. Humans were created in the image of God and thus possess personality, self-transcendence, intelligence, morality, gregariousness, and creativity. Humans can know the world around them and God himself. Human beings were created good, but through the fall, the image of God became defaced. For each person, death is either a gate to life with God and his people, or the gate to eternal separation from the only thing that will ultimately fulfill human aspirations. <clears throat> So that's, that's a short, short list, and it comes from that, that, that book I mentioned. Uh, it's pretty summarized. Um, where, 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 did he, where, where do we get these ideas? Where, where do these ideas come from, do you think? Scripture. Okay, this, this is a, a, a Christian worldview, a Christian way of looking at life and humanity. Okay, and, and so maybe you've seen this before, maybe, maybe you haven't, but 
how do we, when you think about that, there, there's other worldviews out there. Like uh, the, the different religions, like uh, New Age kind of stuff. Wicca in the last 10 years has been pretty, pretty popular in our valley here. Um, different, different understandings of humanity, of, of the world. And, but a big, uh, a, a kind of a ma massive contrast is naturalism. Okay. Can someone read that little bullet list there for me, please? Matter exists, but God doesn't. The universe is a closed system. Humans are complex forms of matter. Death is the extinction of personality and individuality. History has no ultimate purpose or goal, just an endless stream of cause and effect. Values are man. Okay. So, uh, in, in the Christianity uh, worldview, uh, it's an open system, meaning that uh, somebody from the outside can affect the universe. It's an open system that, that there's a creator, a maker, who can come into the world and manipulate it, but uh, naturalism says we, we, the universe is a closed system, that there's nothing on the outside that is making things happen in the universe, if that makes sense. Uh, so, the, the contrast there, of course, the, the big one is that you and I have no ultimate meaning other than what we invent for ourselves in, in naturalism. Uh, you might have a sense of significance and worth, but it's all, it's all made up. It's all what you've kind of come up with in your head. Uh, you, all, you don't have any ultimate significance or worth uh, other than um, what you say that you have or what the culture says you have, but when you die, you realize you're nothing. You know, you're just, you're, there, there's no eternity, there's no, you just go back uh, to matter, because that's all you are, is, is matter. Where, where do these ideas come from? Paganism. Paganism? What else? Ego. Our government. <laughs> Ego, pride, <laughs> government, maybe sometimes? What's that? Okay, you could say Satan. Yeah. Pride. Pride. Uh, uh, our our reason maybe that's that's a, what scientists would say certainly is is that it's a reasonable approach to the data. Um, society right now. Society, it's uh, um, for sure. Jerome, you got two big words we got to explain. I think ex nihilo is kind of important. Out of nothing, you can't evolve from nothing. So if you believe in evolution, you don't believe ex nihilo. Right. Because God didn't. God started with nothing. Right. As far as creation was concerned, gregariousness. I didn't know what that meant until I until I saw a phrase: the gregarious starlings. You never see a starling by himself. They are always in a group. They love to be together in a group. <laughs> so that's gregariousness. Excellent. Right. Thank you. Thank you. So we're gregarious right now. Let's all stand and hug each other. No, just kidding. <laughs> We won't, we won't be that gregarious. <laughs> Thank you. But, so what, what I'm getting at is that um, our, our way of looking at life and way of understanding this life, our ideas come from somewhere, don't they? They have to come from somewhere. And, and we get our ideas from certain authorities. Most of us, I, I'm certainly not, not someone that is creative enough or, or intuitive enough or smart enough to come up with my own understanding of, of the world. I borrow ideas. I've, you know, I, I take ideas from somewhere, and so uh, when we talk about authority, the authority of Scripture, we're 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 saying that it came from somewhere outside of me. Uh, so naturalism or Buddhism or Hinduism, um, all, they they're all coming from somewhere. 
some some source of authority, for sure. And, and uh, so, what 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 authority are you basing your life on? Right. At some point, uh, you you have a, a normative kind of a, a standard that you're looking at, or you're being guided by, or being led by. Uh, we we we're, we're buttoned up against reality in some way. What is your reality? We all have a, a kind of a, a picture of reality somewhere in our mind or an assumption. Maybe we've never even expressed it or we can't articulate it, but we all have a worldview. And it's coming from somewhere. What, what is your authority? Who, who, who is your authority? Who is your teacher? And, and we're saying what, what we're saying in this book in Systematic Theology is that the Bible is our teacher. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is what gives us uh, understanding of life. And what we're going to look at tonight is why is the Bible authoritative? Why do we think it's authoritative? Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> By the way, that there's a big bag of popcorn up there and treats and coffee. Feel free to get up and get what you need. Water in the kitchen. Bathrooms down the hall. If the class gets really boring, take a walk. Uh, another way to say this, uh, we, we've been preaching out of Mark lately. When, when Jesus said, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, what did he mean? Well, what does that mean, that the kingdom of heaven is here or, or near? The time is fulfilled? What would you say off the top of your head? What's that talking about? The king has come in some fashion. Yeah. That's a big claim, right? How, how has the king come? And really, I don't see it. Where, where is where's the king? We have access to God the Father through Christ. Okay. There, there's there's some, some fashion that Jesus has come that has opened up a whole new world mm -hmm. or, or established something new and fresh uh, that's, that's been promised. So... Again, I just, I'm sorry, I, I, I killed a few trees, but I, I just typed it up today just because I was, I was feeling like it and I wanted to avoid other things. <laughs> when, when Jesus came preaching about the good news of the kingdom of God, what was he talking about? So on your second page of your outline there, uh, a story or a promise is being fulfilled historically. And so this is kind of a, maybe a way of looking at, at the world. God made the heavens and the earth. God has been has always been the ruler. He's always been sovereign over the universe. But the world has suffered rebellion and evil and death. This this is a, a biblical worldview. This we get this from the Bible, and, and we're just summarizing it. You could probably say it different ways. There was a Jewish hope, a, a hope from the beginning of the Bible that someday God would alter the world by His coming and bring the world back into order. He would renew the world. Jesus is the means by which God wins back the world. The turning point of history is Jesus' incarnation and His death and resurrection. A great victory is won, and we celebrate that at Easter, or Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the rule of God is here. It is spreading through human society, life by life. The age of fulfillment has come. And, and so the, some of the parables of the yeast spreading through the dough, it's spreading slowly. The seed that was planted, one day it will be a great tree. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven, talking about the kingdom of God. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's growing, it's developing, it's coming about. 
Jesus one day instituted a new creation where the world will be totally transformed and renewed. The day of consummation is still future. The kingdom has come. We are waiting for its complete coming. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a story, a history, uh, uh, an outline of things that, that, that are coming. And that's, that's uh, yeah, Don. I'm a word nut, if you don't already know that. <laughs> so that word time up there, the time is fulfilled. There's two Greek words for time. One is chronos, where we get chronology, and that's just the ordinary word for time. That's not the word here in the Greek. I don't know Greek. I just learned this from somebody like you do. Um, but it's kairos. It's a particular time, a special time, a remarkable time. Amen. That is not just the normal word for time. Amen. Thank Amen. you. Good, good, good word there, Don. You nut. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and so you can put it into an outline form if you look at the next little section there. The Bible is telling a story of God's actions. Uh, if God, if it was telling a story of God's action, what would be the major points? And so I, I've tried to just parse it out there. Creation, fall, uh, you know, recreation or, or uh, um, uh, redemption, uh, promise. Uh, Genesis 12, you know, starts with Abraham, uh, works into the family of, of Abraham, descendants, and then Israel, the nation. Uh, you know, the promise is all the nation is going to be blessed. And so we, we see prophecies made and promises made. And then, then we get to the coming of Jesus. Uh, you know, God's rules are established. Fulfillment has come. The kingdom came. is promised. The last days has arrived. So we're in the last days. We're in the, the time between uh, the last days have come. But we're still waiting. Right now the church, is, it's about the witness. God's rule is here because Jesus the king came. But uh, we're still waiting for the kingdom to come fully, uh, to be consummated. New heaven, new earth, eternity. Uh, so why believe this? This is kind of a biblical story, a biblical outline of reality, uh, the narrative, the meta-narrative of Scripture. Why, why, would we, why would we hold on to this rather than a, a naturalistic evolution? Uh, where, where, where do we, you know, the answers to that is simple, but Why? There's no hope. There's okay. There's there's no hope, and I mean I don't think there's any hope in naturalism, you know, or, or it's if it's if it's different outcomes. That's um, true. Well, given this by God. Okay. In the Bible, and where yeah. did naturalism come up with? I think we just tried to figure that one out, didn't we? Yeah. The the pride, the ego, the things that naturalism. Uh, so we, uh, Jim, you, that's just a summary, and all that to say. The, our authority matters. And what is your authority? Well, that's the other side of it, too. If you don't believe in a higher authority, then you're your own, you're your own God. You, you're the only person that you're accountable to. That's right. You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> we are created to need guidance, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is like we either take God's truth or we replace it with uh, another authority, right? It's either one or the other. Yes, sir. Relative morality. Relative morality. Yeah. yeah. I think of Ecclesiastes. That God has God has set eternity in the heart of man, and the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Romans one says, uh, "For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God." So God has revealed Himself to us to an extent. Um, I mean, we see it all around us. Creation speaks of a higher power. Creation okay. speaks, and there's there's an emptiness inside of us 
without something. And I think all these people are looking for that. But we see the truth in the Word of God. Okay, so you mentioned the, the, the creation, the general revelation of, of, of creation is, is a word from God. In the, in the written word of God, that's what, we've, that's what we're looking at. Why is the written word of God authoritative? Okay. It's true. It's true. I mean, that's, that's, our, that's our foundational... We've got to get there sooner or later. It's true, right? But what do we say to people that, that say, I don't believe that? Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. That's a great question. Um, so, so the bottom of the page there, just, just to summarize, why is this an important topic? Because we believe that God has spoken through the Scripture. And, and this is Grudem's definition. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or dis, disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about tonight. There's these authorities that are all uh, human-based within a closed system, and then there's, there's God's words that come from the outside, beyond our intellect, beyond our, our, our ability to, to uh, look at the data and deduct, deduce things, beyond our scientific uh, uh, efforts, there's, there's a voice that comes out from, from outside that we think is authoritative. And we listen to that voice, is what, what we're talking about, what Groom's getting at in this long chapter. Everybody get a, uh, anybody, everybody that had a book, did you get a chance to read it? Yeah? And, you're, and you still came tonight? No. No, good job. <laughs> Uh, I think I think he's he's there's there's so much more to say on on that, but I think uh, in your outline, the Bible claims that all its words are God's words, and so he had a long section on the Old Testament prophets, uh, where he said, "Thus says the Lord." Right? Was there any questions on that section? I thought it was pretty straightforward. Um, the what he's saying is the Bible makes claims for itself that it's divine. It, it's got a divine source. I think he he, he hit that pretty well. I, I don't think I can add anything to it. Does that everybody feel good about that that section? Um, so many times in Scripture, I think he quoted like 417 times in the ESV. It says, "Thus saith says the Lord." So in the Old Testament, especially. God, God is speaking through, through His prophets and in His prophets uh, to us. Um, but I, I thought it was pretty clear. So just listed there, uh, just how Jesus had a high view of Scriptures, uh, just some examples. Um, and, and obviously there's a context for every one of those verses, so or sections, so if you're interested in some of that, you can look it up. But in all those places and, and others that Grudem listed, and you can find other lists, Jesus really saw Scripture as authoritative. Did, did any any uh, any questions about Jesus's view of the Bible, or anything that you thought really important to speak about tonight about Jesus's view of the Bible? He had a high one. <laughs> That's the way to summarize it. He thought the Bible was true. He thought the, the Old Testament scriptures were authoritative. And so we, we saw that in so many ways, how he, he pointed to scripture and said, it is written. 
It is written. It is written. So Jesus had, and then then the New Testament high view of Scripture examples. The the two main verses, we should probably look at these. Could you open your Bible to Second Timothy three sixteen? Second Timothy three sixteen. Could, uh, could somebody read that verse, please? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Okay, so uh, the different translations. Uh, was that the NIV? What do you got? The King James. King Jimmy. King James Version. <laughs> um all, all Scripture is breathed out. Uh, this is the ESV, breathed out. So you're said... Given by inspiration. Given by inspiration. Uh, I think the NIV says inspired. All Scripture no, is... Does it say breathed out too? translation. I mean, he did, Gudum doesn't like inspiration because he says every musician and poet and writer is claiming inspiration now. It's kind of a weak word. Breathed out by God is a much stronger word. Yeah. And the Greek is nuo... Theo-nosis. 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 Theo, 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 yes. God-breathed. Yes. I mean, that's the translation. And, and so can you all visualize that? <sighs> I had a college professor um, talk about, I went to Bible college, and uh, he talked about God-breathed rain like a, a person who plays instruments. It's the, the air behind the instrument. So the people who wrote the Bible were the instruments. That's why we have some that sound like Paul and some that sound like Peter, because it's the difference of like hearing a trumpet versus a trombone. Same person puts the air through, but Excellent. they have a different sound to them and a different feel to them, even though they're oh. Breathed into by the That's standard. an excellent analogy. So, uh, so that it, it's it breathed out as a metaphor to describe something that's happening. Right? Just like that, that analogy that blowing into an instrument results in something. The, the each, yeah. So it's breathed out by God, and and who, who's who? And so he's basically saying, who brought us scripture? God did. So it's a big claim. Of course, and it's 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 a big claim, and, and um, but but aren't they human writings? How does that work? Let's let's think about that for a minute. All Scripture is God breathed, but I, when I open my Bible, I see the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Matthew. What? How? How is? How is it that? God is, it's God's words, but, but it's not. Tell me, give me more. Give me an idea of what that means. Holy From, Spirit inspired. Okay, so, so the Holy Spirit is, is working through a, a person in some fashion, right? And so as, as Colleen said, the idea is that, so Mark had a certain personality that was different than Luke. So, so James had a certain personality. He, he came from a certain writing style, or maybe he grew up in a certain city where they used a certain dialect compared to, to Paul. He grew up in, in Tarsus, uh, you know, in the mountains of, of southern Turkey. Uh, maybe he had a different experience in his, his way of talking and his style. So God, when he inspired the writers, 
he worked through the individual personalities to bring about the product that he wanted to bring about, but he used their language, he used their culture, he used their, their background, their understanding of things, but it, it was his, his, what we have in the scripture was exactly what we, he wanted it to be, but it came through a cultural form. Uh, what was Grudem's deal about dictation? Why, why, didn't he, why didn't he want us to know that the Bible isn't all dictated? Did you remember reading that section? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, so dictation would be what? Word for word. Word for word. Like, I think, uh, maybe, I think the, the Quran, I think uh, Muhammad supposedly received a word for word uh, um, from, 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 from Allah, said... Blah, 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 and Muhammad wrote it down. I, I, I can't remember exactly. I haven't studied that for a while, but it was dictated. And so what, what Grudem says is, is very little of the Bible was dictated. It, it wasn't like the, the, the prophet Isaiah was... Uh, There's por- parts of the prophet Isaiah certainly was word for word, but prophet Isaiah wasn't, you know, like that. God inspired... Uh, Isaiah, in the sense that he put the idea in Isaiah's mind, he put he put uh, the truth in his mind and his heart, and somehow through Isaiah's personality and the situations and the settings of the day, that that word was preached. The word came out ultimately as God wanted it to, but uh, that word would have come out differently if Jeremiah had received that inspiration, because Jeremiah was a different person. That's a, just a quick and dirty summary of the difference between dictation and inspiration. Is that helpful? Can we? Yeah. All the different occupations of the disciples that he had, they all had a different outlook on whatever happened. I mean, you look at the Gospels, and there, there's some of the stuff that's real similar, but there's things in one or the other that isn't in the other one. Someone else, you know, it's like a crowd going to an event. It's the same event, but everybody sees something else going on. That's right. And you write down what's important to you because of whatever your, like you said, the whatever your background is, whatever your culture is, um, things you've been taught as a kid. It's just that's the stuff that means the most to you. I mean, John wrote about stuff that uh, Matthew didn't write about. That's right. So it's it was just there. It was just. Different personalities. Too. Yeah, and, and so uh, along those lines, like Matthew, we think he was directing his gospel towards more of a Jewish uh, uh, audience, and, and Luke was writing to more of a Gentile audience. And so they decided to use different uh, parts of the oral tradition in different ways based upon their personality, but it's still the Word of God. So um, th- thank you for that. Uh, uh, but but is that is that helpful? Like it's profitable because it because it's breathed out by God, it's profitable or useful, and and he, he says for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Uh, can somebody else give a different uh, list there? A different translation. This New Living Translation says all scriptures inspired by God, and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us what to do, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Thank you. Yeah, they, they really kind of tried to spell it out there, didn't they? In the footnotes, <laughs> though, 
they had explained the 16th and 17th verse as God breathed. They, they break it down that way too. So. Great. And, and so we, we uh, our, our authority, it's, it's the Bible because it, the Bible, is what we're saying is it was breathed out by God. God made it happen. So that's, and we're, we're, we could go to our reason, we could go to our family, could go to our culture, a little bit dangerous today for source of truth, or we could go to God's Word. How about the next, yeah? I was going to say, another one of those that I seem to have heard a lot lately is the universe, which is sad because they don't even realize that maybe God has been directing them and they just, he doesn't get any credit for it. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's just sad. It is sad. It is sad. Thank you. Second uh, Peter one twenty one. Could somebody read that one, please, when, when everyone gets there? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So prophecy, that you know, the Word of God, it's uh, Peter saying here that um, it didn't come about because man, man just thought it up. Right? And so that, going back to the previous point, certainly Matthew wanted to speak to his culture. Luke wanted to speak to his culture, wanted to get the, the Mark the evangelist, wanted to get the word out. So there was a drive there. But what this is saying is that where, where did that drive come from? Or where did that impetus come from? Where did that desire come from uh, to, to, to preach, to get the word out there? He's saying that all of Scripture started by God's will. Uh, God moved in someone's life, God moved in, in the prophet's mind, heart, soul, to bring his word to the world. It was never produced by the will of man, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as was, was said earlier. So the Holy Spirit moved in someone's life to bring about Scripture. So again, the, the source of our, of our Scriptures is, is God. It's, it's the Spirit. And so that's, again, we're going back to this, this uh, uh, authority, uh, God. Um, sometimes we talk about the Bible as, as uh, almost the highest authority, but obviously the Bible comes from uh, God. <laughs> so the Bible is true, the Bible is authoritative, the Bible is, is truth, but its origin is from God. Um, all scripture came from God originally uh, in someone's life, and it was written down um, at some point. But authorities in the world versus authority of the creator, the maker. So we're saying that the Bible is our authority because it didn't come from human rational thinking. It didn't come from uh, these other sources. It came from God. I think we're driving home the point, right? <laughs> clear, clear enough? Mark. Yeah. You know, another issue, though, with this is that um, people need to be careful to look at the whole teaching of Scripture 
God has a kind of progressive revelation of himself through scripture. Mm -hmm. So it starts out in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But by the time you get to Christ, he's saying, no, but I say, and it's not that it was wrong back then, it's just this progressive way of God leading people into a, uh, the morality he really desi desires for us. Amen. And, that's, and that, that comes too through the fulfillment uh, of, the, of the promises, the story, like this, this uh, kind of this linear kind of progression of, of history. Uh, so we got, you know, Old Testament, uh, and, and it's moving, you know, the cross is the center of history. And so by the time we get here to the cross, Jesus has fulfilled a lot of teaching and a lot of promises, a lot of truth. And so the progressive revelation is, okay, they're, they're, God, God, I guess, met people where they were. Like the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a big upgrade over everything else. But he didn't get ahead of, of things too far. But Jesus, by the time he got here, the, the way, for instance, the way he treats women, the, the way he, he acts in, in certain ways in the culture is such a big upgrade that so progressive revelation he's fulfilling the promises way back here they're coming true and, and so this redemptive part of the, the history the okay oh, you know the, the garden of eden it's beautiful it's wonderful you know walking with god you can't you can't beat that and then the fall comes and the world goes pfft, world goes to pot so there's this recreation that's coming and it's getting better and better ultimately getting better even though it's still a mess today till we get to eternity and man, that's going to be great. Eternity, the, the new heaven, new earth. You know, when Christ comes back to the earth, how awesome that's going to be. Uh, and so, yeah, I really appreciate that. The progressive revelation uh, through the, the, the flow of the story, through the flow of God's plan in history. It's coming about. And it's, it's great. But even though he does, it's progressive, he never says that you don't follow anymore. You know, like the, the judgment, instead of saying, no, you don't do eye for eye, it's judge yourself first. So he doesn't ever undo anything he commanded. He just gives further instructions. It's, okay, that, that's, uh, I, I, like, I like where you're going there. Let, let's run down that path some, because there's some questions along those lines. Um, yeah. Isn't, uh, isn't he showing us that we cannot do it without the Savior? Of course, he's, he's revealing to us that that um, adultery is looking with lust. I mean, it's deeper. It's it's a harder thing. We need yeah. a savior. So I think he's showing us in that that we can't be good enough. Absolutely. Without without the savior. Yeah, Israel's experience. They had the law. They had the Torah. They had everything they needed for righteousness, and they they failed. You know, in and of themselves. Yeah. The, yeah. External to internal. External to internal. Um, that's a, so let's let's get to some of Grudem's things in case you uh, were wondering about some of his his arguments. In the middle of the third page there in your outline, there are a lot of arguments we can make that support our claim that the Bible came from God and is God's authoritative word. Uh, look at page page sixty seven. I know you y'all don't have a, a book, but. Uh, <clears throat> back here, you guys 
Um, page, page 67. Uh, that there, there's a really interesting list there of um, <clears throat> what kind of arguments can we make to show people that the Bible is authoritative? What kind of arguments can we show people that the Bible is authoritative? So number under number three, uh, it's helpful for us to learn that the Bible is historically accurate. You know, I, if the Bible wasn't historically accurate, I might not be able to trust it nearly as much. Right? If it had all kinds of errors, if it had all kinds of flaws, like, I, I couldn't trust it. So when we're witnessing to people, you know, we can say, hey, why do I believe the Bible's authoritative? Because it's accurate in what it teaches. It's historically accurate. It doesn't, it doesn't make mistakes. It's internally consistent. It, like, it doesn't have contradictions, internal con contradictions. It contains prophecies that have been fulfilled hundreds of years later. That's pretty awesome, yeah. <laughs> right? It has influenced the course of human history more than any other book. It's con continued changing the lives of millions of individuals throughout its history. That through its people, people find salvation. It's, it's, got, it's beautiful. Its depth of teaching is unmatched. It claims hundreds of times to be God's... All, all these arguments and others are useful to us to remove obstacles that might otherwise come in the way of believing Scripture. Okay, so, but, but this is, this is uh, how we show people. These are, these are apologetic arguments, how we show people that it's God's Word, that it's, that it's authoritative. Why, what does, what is Grudem, and can you think of other, maybe, maybe, maybe there's other uh, arguments that you have to show people that it's God's Word that's not on this list? Because there's others, for sure. The argument I used with a Jewish fellow I was talking with yesterday, who I think is going to become a Christian soon, but Amen. he said, if, Je well, if Jesus is coming back, he better hurry up. I said, well, why does he need to hurry up? He said, well, there's so many other religions, and a lot of people are coming to other religions, and it was like he was equating all the religions. So I said to him, did the leaders, did the leaders of those other religions come back from the dead? Yeah. Okay. Or did they say they were God? Same thing, yeah. I don't, I don't think any of them did. So, so there's rational arguments you can use to support the validity of Scripture. And that, that's, that's, that's one there. Also, the other thing is, if somebody says, well, I don't believe that, uh, and they give you a reason why, you could just say, well, read it on your own then. Yeah. <laughs> Try that, to disprove it. That, that's really good. It's really good. That's a great, great yeah. strategy. Um, but why can't we depend on other arguments to prove that the Bible is God's word? Like these are rational arguments and they're good arguments. Why, why don't these prove, according to Grudem, that, that this is God's word? On, on page uh, number four on page 68... It removes God as our ultimate authority. Yeah. yeah. Because if we're using another authority as the ultimate authority, then God is no longer the ultimate authority, which means we don't believe Scripture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he's, yeah. If, he's saying if you appeal to these things, or that list, you suddenly put this authority on a lower level. That makes sense. <laughs> but when we're, when we're reaching to people, we've got those authorities, those are the authorities we need. Yeah. So we, we show them from these these areas and, and the list that he gave why. But ultimately, Groom says the only thing that's going to make people 
believe is the Holy Spirit testifying to the truth. Like we, we can give we can give thirty two different arguments for why they should believe in God or why they should believe in Scripture, but until the Holy Spirit convicts them, the Holy Spirit moves in their life until the Holy Spirit testifies to them, uh, they're not going to believe. That's when he said, "Blessed are you, Simon Peter, because man has not revealed this to you, but has been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit." Yeah. Amen. Right there. That's it. That's, that says it perfectly because it's it's not anything that we do; it's what God does. Through the Holy Spirit, yeah, on, on people. And what's the what's the nature of humanity that doesn't allow for us to to come to grips with reality outside of the Holy Spirit? Uh, what, what's our problem that keeps us from seeing things rationally or truthfully? Sin, Sin. self. We're we're fallen, right? We're 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 we're, we're the the nature like in that theistic. Uh, picture of Christianity, our nature is defaced. We, we can't, we're not rational enough, we, we're not right in the head enough, <laughs> in the heart, to see things as they truly are. Uh, the, the fall has affected us, and, and it's debatable in Christian history to what level of depravity we've fallen, but all, all wings of Christianity, at least Christianities that believe in the Bible, say that, uh, that we're, we're fallen in some sense, we're depraved in some sense. And so we can't, other than God opening our eyes in, at some point, we, we, we don't get it. That he's, that the word is true. Which is, you know, now when I first read that, I was a little bit disappointed. Not, not here, like, when I read this several years ago, I wanted that ultimate, like, you know, that ultimate zinger, like, proof. You know, rational proof that I could bring to somebody apologetically or evangelistically. And so I was like, oh, there isn't one? <laughs> it's, God does it, God does it? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> In my pride, I wanted to bring the zinger. Yeah. Some of those same people who have been working on their, their defenses for not believing in scripture and so that's the only reason the Holy Spirit can intervene I mean they, they've set up all kinds of stuff people that have, that have died and, and God didn't save them or whatever you know they they rationalize this stuff that well it can't be God because this happened or they're, they're the scripture was written by so many different men and how can it be true and they're working on their side to defend everything that they think they believe in they're building up their fortress right. mentally, yeah. So the way I've seen it with evangelism uh, in my life is I can lay it out logically how the scripture is, but when I just give them the word, God promises, mm -hmm. word won't return void, right. and it's sharper yes. than any two-edged sword, yes. able to for the division, right, to yeah. separate. And once you give them the word, just just God's word, right, it's just a scripture, it'll, it'll divide. And that's what I found most effective. It's just giving them the truth, and that's. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, who said there was there is no God, was honest enough to say that no matter how much arguing you do back and forth, the main reason people don't believe in God is they don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> and Nietzsche was an atheist. He was an there atheist. There are other atheists that have also used the same types of arguments. But when they try to disprove the Bible by reading it, reading through it, they end up becoming Christians. Mm. So, Amen. So.
Well, and I wonder too if the reason there's not that like zinger moment of like, oh, there it is, because that would then give man too much credit. Like it was recorded by man, so then man would get the credit instead of God being like, it's still mine. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Agreed. Agreed. Grudem <clears throat> is a good uh, Reformation or uh, Reformed theologian. He won't ever let us take too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he won't. Um, uh, so the app, uh, there's a long paragraph there that I typed up for you to look at about the work for the, of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the pride of man. Uh, man is hostile to God. A person refuses to come to Christ. It's, it's not never because of, just because of the lack of evidence or because of intellectual difficulties. He refuses to come because he willfully ignores and rejects the drawing of God's Spirit on his heart. So that's, that's a pretty common way of thinking about things uh, theologically, about why people don't come to Christ. Uh, and so the, uh, on the top of the last, or wait, yeah, this is the top of the fourth page. We know Christianity is true primarily by the self-authenticating witness of God's Spirit. We show Christianity to be true by, by presenting good arguments for its central tenets. And so um, we can show people why we think the Bible is true, show them, but the only reason we know it to be true ultimately is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The self-authenticating witness of God's Spirit. And so I think someone already said it. What's a good application here? If you want to persuade someone that the Bible is God's Word, what do you want the person to read more than any other piece of literature? The Word. <laughs> the Word. So I, I, could, I, could, uh, I could give them this book and say, here. <laughs> I can hit them over the head. <laughs> but the Bible itself is going to be much more effective, ultimately, because God's Spirit is working through His Word to convict uh, sinful hearts to to repent. All right, so a great strategy if you have some lost people in your life, um, try to get them in the scripture, and let the let that you know. Obviously, you want to pick, have them read the book of John before they read the book of Leviticus. <laughs> that, that would be that'd be wise, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's, uh, here's an interesting application that he made. Page 69, the second paragraph. Um, how, how then does a Christian or anyone else choose, choose among the various claims uh, for absolute authorities? Uh, and so, uh, like, he, the different religious, the different religious books, like, like the Quran or Book of Mormon, Ultimately, the truthfulness of the Bible will commend itself as being far more persuasive than any other religious books or than any other intellectual constructions of the human mind, such as logic, human reason, sense experience, scientific methodologies. So he's making a claim there. Um, you know, I, I haven't read the... I, I read the Quran in English. I've never read it in, in you know... Uh, what's the translate? The Arabic. Arabic. Thank you. There, I've never. I've read parts of uh, some Buddhist text and parts of some Hindu text, but I, I've never like read it in their language. So how do I know? You know, 
I haven't, I've not, I'm not Mr. Encyclopedia that knows everything and studied every religion. I, I, have you studied every religion? I, I, you know, there's hundreds of different religions. How do, how do we know? He, he's, he's saying that once you start matching them up, he, he's saying that the, the scripture, because it's ultimately the truthfulness in the Bible, commend itself being far more persuasive than any religious books or intellectual constructions. Uh, in other words, he's saying that uh, if, if you take Christianity as a worldview, you take Christianity as a teaching about life, Christianity w will cohere much better with reality than any other worldview. It'll fit reality much better than any other worldview. It'll, it'll explain reality much better than any other philosophical system or worldview. That's a claim, you know. Uh, and, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I have to take his word for it. But ultimately, the only reason I know something to be true is in, in salvifically and in things is because the Holy Spirit teaches me truth. And, you know, there, there's, so he had a big long section about circular arguments. Did anybody uh, want to talk about that? <laughs> is that enjoyable? I was going to go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was <That's> laughing. <laughs> Circular arguments, you can easily get into one of those with um, somebody that believes in relative morality. Like, I am the final authority on everything, and um, whatever I think is right is right. Um, so you can get into a circular argument with them by saying something like, well, so you think in certain circumstances murder would be right, or this or that or the other things that we know in our heart are wrong. Every human almost knows it. Just as somebody over there said, we all know in our hearts or in our spirit, every person is born with that. We are. <clears throat> but that, I don't know, does that explain it? <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, the, he, he goes down that road for sure. You know, he, he uh, let's see, we're, the page of that, this is a circular argument, same page, and basically saying um, all, 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 all religions, all worldviews, um, ultimately everybody goes to a circular, circular argument in some fashion. Um, it, but which, which one best lines up with reality is, is his, his kind of a deal there, so... Uh, it's not, um, yeah, anyway, that, that's a whole, a circular argument thing, that's a whole graduate level <laughs> fun conversation. Um, and he's got, if you read at the bottom of 69, if you want to dive into that further, but I guess I'm not too interested in it tonight. If you want to go farther with that. Um, Let's keep moving on here. He, he makes a big claim in, in his, uh, his statement about uh, God's Word, uh, his definition uh, on page 62. The authority of Scripture means that all the words of Scripture are God's words. Okay, we've, I think we've established that. Like, why do we believe the Bible is authoritative? Because they're God's words. And he made a big deal about saying all the words of Scripture are ultimately God's words. Even when Satan speaks, uh, it's being reported accurately um, in, in God's Word. But uh, 
So in such a way that to, to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Woo! That's a big statement. It's, it's true, but let, let me push back a little bit. Uh, a hard question. Maybe you've never thought about this, so if, if you haven't run down this path, I apologize. There's popcorn. There's treats. There's coffee. We haven't touched that bag very much. we got to finish that bag tonight, right, Kim? No. It might be a little stale next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hard question. If the Bible is our authority as individual Christians, and as a church, it's our authority, why don't Christians obey all the commands found in the Old Testament? If we don't obey all the, all the Old Testament laws, aren't we disobeying God? I mean, he said in his definition that uh, he said it, it means all the words in Scripture are God's words in, in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God? Depending on what covenant you're under. Okay, there we're getting... So there's, there's answers to this. <laughs> it's, just, it's dispensationalism. You've got to separate, divide. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there, there's, there's, good, there's good answers to this, but um, man, there's, there's a lot of Old Testament commandments a, I'm not keeping right now. A good uh, scripture for that is uh, Romans 6 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Um, it's it's the talking about we don't have to abide by the law because we are under grace, but we need to as much as possible. Okay, it's it's that that yeah, it's it's getting in there for sure. The 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 law, but we're under grace. But what about the law? Well, I'm under grace. Christ fulfilled the law. There is a lot of mystery in that. I've struggled with that too all my life. I've lived longer than most of you. That's for sure. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, um, you know, God put those Ten Commandments. He wrote them with his own finger. And those, those, are, those are still fine. Those are pretty significant. But in Hebrews particularly, there's a tremendous emphasis on to what extent the New Covenant has replaced and fulfilled the Old Covenant. And you've really got to get a grasp on that somehow if you're going to understand grace. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was, I grew up Mormon, and that was one of the biggest things we battled with was where does works fall into, you know, being saved or making it to heaven or, you know, whatever. We didn't call it being saved, obviously. But, um, yeah, and, and there is a fine line, I think, between Grace and and you know the law. obedience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what What do you think? Just uh, 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 why Why don't we keep some of the Old Testament laws? It's already been said that there's a a, a, a question of uh, covenants. Um, <clears throat> because of what Christ did. Okay. Yeah. So. Fulfilled. So there's the old covenant. And there's the new covenant. Okay, and so Christ, there's something that happened. His name is Jesus Christ. Something that happened, a, a death, burial, and resurrection. It somehow changed 
some things. So Old Covenant, uh, Israel, and just this is just general summary stuff or, or overview stuff. You can get into the nuance really quick. Um, Israel Church. Okay, um, there's some people, you know, would say that, you know, the church is Israel, Israel is the church. Um, and that's, you know, you can go there. That's, that's, um, there, there's different things you can talk about there. So Dave said, Jesus came and he fulfilled. fulfilled. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's Matthew 5. Look at that. Matthew 5. Uh, verse 17. Dave, could you could you read uh, verses 17 through? Uh, well, yeah, we could go all the way, but just 17 in in 18, please. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Okay, so there's two big words there, fulfilled, and sorry about my chicken scratch, and accomplished. So a, a, a quick summary of that, that verse is, there's all kinds of promises given to Israel. There's all kinds of laws given to Israel. There's, there's commandments given to Israel. And in some way, Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled some of that, and he accomplished some of that. And so there's parts of the Old Testament that isn't relevant to us anymore. Not, not relevant, but isn't applicable to us anymore as the keeping of that law. Because Jesus has already kept it and accomplished it. And the law, uh, the, the law pointed towards Jesus. The, the, law, the law said, man, there's, there's, someone's going to fulfill it. Someone's going to make it, complete it. And so Jesus has, has done it in some fashion. That's one answer. Old covenant, new covenant. What, what else, what else, why else might we, we, we say that uh, uh, we don't have to keep the Old Testament laws anymore? How, how else have you heard it uh, described? Romans 13.10 Okay, and that's that's a that's a typical dispensational kind of understanding, is that uh, man uh, there's the old covenant law to Israel, right? There's the old covenant law to Israel, and now we're under the law of Christ. So Israel's law, you know that that was the old covenant, and now we're under the law of Christ. And I think that's. Uh, that's Galatians 6.2. And he did away with the whole sacrificial system. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so this is uh, what, what he was getting at there is love. You, you know, you, when you're loving people, you're loving God, you're not sinning. <laughs> that's, that's a real quick summary. If, I, if I'm treating you as God has treated me, if I'm loving you in the way that God wants me to, to treat you, I'm not sinning against you. So I'm keeping the law. I'm keeping God's heart. I'm keeping God's standards. Is that's one way to look at it. And what was what was? I just heard something else. Don, you said that something. Whole sacrificial system. He did away with. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
So the other way to look at it is there's, there's uh, ceremonial laws, there's civil laws, and there's moral laws. Okay, and this, you know, these categories really aren't spelled out in the Bible because you, you read through the Old Testament, they're all kind of mixed together. So this is a theological way of breaking down the Bible. But ceremonial laws like <clears throat> at the temple, like all the ways you brought sacrifices to the temple, uh, all the ways... Um, Who could go into a part? What's that? Who could go into what part? Yeah, okay, yeah, when yeah. You couldn't go into the temple. Right. The, uh, the, the cleanliness laws, like how do you stay uh, clean and unclean, pure and impure, all, all those things are part of the Old Testament. Civil, all the civil codes, like um, you commit adultery, you could be stoned, you, you know, all the different laws in the Old Testament. And then, then the moral laws, like the Ten Commandments, we mentioned that. So there, there's, there's different ways of breaking it down. And so some people say, uh, gee, how have you heard the ceremonial law, Jesus has abrogated that or brought it to an end? Because it's the final sacrifice. It's the final sacrifice. Okay, that's Hebrews in, in different places. You know, there's no more need for any more sacrifices. We don't need some of these, these ways of getting right with God anymore. Bringing, we, we don't have a temple anymore. Right? Uh, the, the old type of, the, we don't have priests anymore. We bring, you know, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this in so many ways. He's, he's the priest. He's the sacrifice, right? He, he's the king, <laughs> a civil king. Well, some of the civil laws were specific to that locality. Yeah, right. Uh, God brought a, a covenant. He gave his law to Israel. As a nation. As a nation. National laws that played out in civic ways, very specific. Uh, agricultural community, a rural community, and so many urban communities, they look at the civil law today and it just doesn't, they, they find no relevance to it. But So Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws, uh, he, he fulfilled the civic laws, but the moral law, this is what some people say, is that the moral law is still in force. That uh, God's holy standards of righteousness for us, like murdering someone, is always going to be wrong. Stealing is always going to be wrong. Right? Uh, those those kind of things are always going to be wrong no matter what. So uh, this, this idea of um, why don't we keep some of the Old Testament laws? Fulfilled, fulfilled, not fulfilled. Or, or they're, they're still alive, still active, still relevant to us. And again, you, there's whole books on this, <laughs> and you can look in the, the back of this book and you get some, some resources there, or if you want to dive deeper in some of this stuff, man, the, the nerds have gone crazy on these things. So we've got a whole library of things we can study more if, if we want to. One more thing about yeah. uh, uh, oh, no. grace fulfilling uh, the law is we in Acts 15 when... Peter and James are speaking to the church about whether or not to hold the new Christians to um, to the old law. Uh, Peter says, God knows the human heart, and he showed approval of their hearts by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did for us. 
In cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction between them and us, so it makes no sense to me that some of you are testing God by burdening his disciples with a load that neither you or our forefathers nor we have been able to carry. No, we all believe that we will be liberated through the grace of the Lord Jesus. They also will be rescued in the same way. So, just talking about the sufficiency of Jesus' grace. Right, so... Absolutely. So it, that, that church council there, there was some arguing that, yeah, grace is good and Jesus is good, but you still have to keep the law. And their argument is grace. Yeah. <laughs> grace. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Ron, what, about, what about specific books being written to specific people? They, all the books of the Bible were not written to us in 2022. So you want to talk about the, I mean, Leviticus, who was it written to? I think we always have to look at what, who the specific people were that it was written to. Corinthians, we read to the Corinthians. Leviticus, Leviticus was written, written to Israel. Um, and, you know, just, there was different people that were the recipients of those books, but they are applicable. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're they are applicable. Right? Yeah, but, so... I've never done a sermon series in Leviticus, but, I, but I, I'm, who wants that? I, yeah. but, uh, but certainly there's principles in Leviticus that apply to universally. Sure. That's the important distinction to make. Was it, was it, it was given to a particular church yes. to address a particular problem in that church, then we have to ask the question, now is that relevant for us now, or did that have to do just with the problem they were addressing then? There are principles that are universal and apply to us at all times, all people, and then there are those that were very specific. We can't be applying those now. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, right. Uh, just case in point, um, so in the, in the Torah, in, the, uh, in, in Exodus, right, so Exodus... 19 and 20, you know, so here's, and again, my handwriting is getting worse as the night goes along. I'm so sorry. Uh, Exodus 19 and 20, right? God takes Israel into the wilderness and, and he says, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're, you're going to, you know, all that. And then he gives them the, the, the Ten Commandments. But then in... in and again, it's been a while since I thought about this, but somewhere between chapters 21 and 24, there's, there's much more specific applications of the Ten Commandment. Uh, so Exodus, I think it's 21 through 24 or, or 25, um, right there. There's like these big overarching <coughs> principles that are meant for all people at all times and all places, right? But uh, you get down here to some of the minutiae, the, the case laws, they're, they're definitely focused just on Israel. And so there, there's uh, this, we can get principles out of these, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the idea of building a, like on your roof, you, you put a, a fence around it so that people don't fall off and die. We can pull, you know, we can pull out a principle, like uh, the, the common analogy is, the principle is, if I got a bunch of Rottweilers, I put a, a fence around my yard so people don't die. <laughs> you know? These, this seems like the civil stuff is specific to this is the, this is the action, here's the consequence. 
Yes, very, very clearly. There's a fascinating exception. I think the only Ten Commandments that isn't repeated in the New Testament is remember the Sabbath to keep it fully. And then you think about Jesus' life, he was always running into those Pharisees about the Sabbath oh, and no. what he did on the Sabbath. It's no accident that that's not included in the New Testament because he really ripped apart their Sabbath yeah. and all what? its rules. Yeah, why don't we worship on Saturday? It's, it's a great question, and it's a deep question. But uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't want to go down that route. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's that's a big one. Um, so there's a paragraph there you can read it uh, when the when the New Testament came, when the New Covenant came. Uh, there's discontinuity. Um, the ancient Jewish purity laws no longer seen relevant. The temple in Jerusalem. The sacrifices that took place there no longer the focal point of God's meeting with people. The Sabbath no longer mandatory. So Romans 14, 5, and 6. And, and, and just to your point, Don, and it, indeed if the people insist on such observances, they're cutting against the grain of the gospel, Galatians 4.10. And, you know, you can see what book I got that out of. But various, various, various answers to the question, the bottom of that page. So some, uh, some in the Christian world, they say there's continuity with the Old Testament. Or they, they say it this way. The New Testament sets aside some Old Testament commandments as no longer applicable or as having been fulfilled by Jesus. Otherwise, we should keep all the Old Testament laws or we are disobeying God. That's one view from Christian history. So uh, if the New Testament says that they're no longer applicable, then we don't do them. But if the New Testament's silent then we do them. <laughs> That's one view. And so another view on the other side of, uh, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, discontinuity with the Old Testament. The Mosaic Law was a covenant with Israel. It ended when God started His work with the New Testament church and brought forth the New Covenant. The Christian church doesn't keep the Law of Moses, but the Law of Christ. The Old Covenant is not the New Covenant. We are a New Covenant people. So, therefore... Only th those commands and teachings from the Old Covenant which are repeated in the New Testament are to be observed by Christians. So the first one was only those <laughs> that, uh, how, how, how do you say it? Uh, only those uh, the New Testament says not to do. <laughs> and this one, uh, we, the ones that are repeated, we do. Uh, so, and then there's kind of a middle ground, and boy, there's, there's variations on this spectrum. You can, you know, all the different, uh, back, but continuity and discontinuity with the Old Testament. Moral laws given in the Old Testament are still applicable to Christians, if not directly, then the principles behind them, because God's character and standards don't change. While ceremonial laws, ordinances of worship meant for Jewish people before Jesus came, and judicial laws, civil laws for the Jewish nation only, are not to be kept. So there's, there's some ideas there for you to chew on. But that big spectrum uh, through church history, different different groups and uh, systems of interpreting the Bible look at that a little bit different. Clear as mud. <laughs> yeah, but we, we do. There's a reason. There's reason, definitely reasons why we don't uh, keep all the laws. But but we get Grudem's point, right? Let's not miss Grudem's point. If it's God's word, we want to keep it. You know, but through history, through the progressive revelation of Scripture, everything is we figure out that Jesus said we don't have to do certain things anymore. Like when he says, you know, what goes into you doesn't make you unclean. 
right? And, and so he was saying, like, that means all foods are clean now. That, that was, so anyway. That, yeah, Brett. Interesting scripture. I just wanted to point out. Uh, sure. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said to him, he was talking to uh, some people there, and he said, you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you follow those, it's like, yeah, you're yeah. following. <laughs> That's a great place to start. <laughs> that summarizes everything, right? Yeah, the great commandment. And it's love God and love people. If in, if in doubt, just love. If this is stressing you out, <laughs> love God and love people. <laughs> Fred. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I don't know how would you get anything else done during the day trying to follow the 600 and some laws. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a good thing because with chaos that we have in the world today, could you imagine throwing stonings and sacrifices into all yeah. this too? Mercy. Mercy, mercy. Yeah, that would be awful tough. To... Oh, boy. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think we that's probably sufficient there. Uh, the truthfulness of Scripture, what is the difference between saying God's words are true and God's word is truth? And so there's a good statement there. Um, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but I, I typed it out. Um, uh, and that, boy, we, we have to talk about that, that other question there. What should the relationship be between Scripture and scientific fact? How does this book describe the relationship? And that is on page... Um, is that page 74, I think? Yeah. So the, the question that he raises, what should re- the relationship be between Scripture and scientific fact? How does this book describe the relationship? And so he, on page 74 under number 4, might some new fact ever contradict the Bible? If the Bible is authoritative, if it's God's Word, uh, what, what if something happens, like an archaeological discovery, or some kind of scientist says, I've proven this or proven that? And so his, his strategy... Uh, on the second paragraph. Could somebody read that second paragraph, please, under, under point number four? Nevertheless, is that one? Yeah. Yep. Nevertheless, it must be remembered that scientific or historical study, as well as other kinds of study of creation, can cause us to re-examine Scripture to see if it really teaches what we thought it taught. The Bible certainly does not teach that the earth was created in the year 4004 B.C., as some once thought, for the genealogical lists of, um, in Scripture have gaps in them. Yet it was in part historical, archaeological, astronomical, and geo- geological study that caused Christians to re-examine Scripture to see if it really taught such a recent origin of, uh, for the earth. Careful analysis of the biblical text showed that it did not teach this. Okay, so uh, his point is there that when, when someone came up with that date of, of 4004, they, they looked at the genealogies of the Bible, all the list of names, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and they added all the numbers up, and it came to, uh, the, the world was created in 4004. But what they didn't do when they added it up was to look at all the genealogy, genealogical lists where there's gaps. <laughs> 
So that, that, that was his point there. It, it, it's, but, but did change his position, though, between in the first edition of this thing, yeah. he was a, a young earth believer. And because of scientific evidence in the last 25 years, he no longer believes in a young earth. Which, which, is a minor, which is a minor doctrine. We'll talk about that when we get there. It but a minor one. Yeah, it's a minor doctrine. It's not a major doctrine. His, his big point is that God created the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. But yeah, it doesn't, how long, it doesn't matter how long it took, this kind of deal. But, so, so he's saying that if there's a... There's, okay, the, the, Bible, the Bible says this. Or... Uh, that's how we interpret it, saying. So someone says, the, the world started in 4004. Is that? Yeah. They, yeah, 4004. But, um, but there's some fact that comes along, or, or some, uh, some finding. What, is he, what does he say we should do with that? Weigh it against the scriptures. Well, be careful how we understand what the Bible actually says. Yes. Okay, so our, if he's saying, maybe you hold the Bible to be saying something, make sure it's actually saying that. Yeah. Okay, so... You can, the, you can also question the science up to a point. He says that too, absolutely. Because where, where, where is science getting its, its statements? Their, their source of authority... Human. Human authority. Yeah. Well, and, and, Having studied data, data can be skewed to say whatever oh, we want to say. There we go. So, so if you're going to use scientific fact, make sure you yeah. really know what the science is. It has a lot to do with whether you believe carbon dating or not. Yeah. It's pretty much up for debate. Yeah. Do you yes, believe that there's a uniformitarianism in the world that everything has always happened in the same way, right. the same, same, uh, uh, you know, the deterioration of matter, et cetera, et cetera. After the but flood, it, a lot of that changed. The way the atmosphere and everything <laughs> changed yes, so yeah. much that it really can't be proven. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it, yeah, once you get into there? And so there's debatable things there. There's debatable things there. From so, the flood, we know that the atmosphere has not always been the same. Well, so, so those, are, those are questions, right? He's saying... Okay, we, we assume certain things. Let's make sure we know what the Bible says. If the, you know, because maybe we need to question our, our previous interpretation. And as as facts come out, um, we need to question those findings uh, before we freak out. <laughs> okay, so he's got a good explanation there. I wanted to point that that out to you both ways. Thus, at the the end of that that paragraph. Uh, the next paragraph, thus, whenever confronted with some fact that is said to contradict Scripture, must not only examine the data, the data adduced to demonstrate the fact in question, must also re-examine the appropriate biblical text, see if the Bible really teaches what we thought it does. So he goes both ways. So I, I thought that was really helpful, helpful for me anyway. Uh, how about those last two uh, big points, uh, D and E? Did anybody have questions there or anything that you really wanted to talk about under D and E? How about that, that chart of theology, uh, of liberal, uh, on page 78? That, I think this chart was worth the price of the book. Yeah, this might be really interesting for you to dive into at some point. 
If you want to know, he basically says liberal liberal Christianity is another religion. It's not Christianity. Now that's his that's his that's his deduction or his the way he brings it about. But if you uh, if you're talking to someone, if you uh, if you're investigating what someone believes, or or maybe you move to a different town and you look at a, what a church believes, this this list is is really good is really good to look at. Um, just to dive into that and process it and think about it. Now, it's, it's not infallible. <laughs> and and what, what I mean by that is there's nuances to every one of these things. We, we tend sometimes in, in the polemic world we live in, like where everything's, you know, like Republicans and Democrats and that and that and right and wrong. You know, uh, sometimes we can really go off on, on my camp is totally right and their camp is totally wrong. So within each one of these things, remember that there's, there's some good reasons why people hold to certain things. You know, they're not, I mean, there's pride and there's arrogance, and some people don't have the spirit of God, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, we understand that, but be humble about these things, I think is what I'm trying to say, because there's good arguments in some of the, on the other side as well that, that we don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, let's be humble about it. But this, this, I, I, this chart is really good. If, uh, you know, this might be a, a study for you to look up all these scriptures and see what they say. Um, but I, I felt like, yeah, again, I don't know how much you paid for your book, but I felt like this chart was worth the, buying the whole book just so you understand uh, kind of the, the Christianities that are around. And, and not all Christianities are biblical Christianities. Very clearly. Okay, yeah, Good Jeanette. Question. When you said being humble, that type of humility can sometimes be looked upon as we Christians vacillating in what we, in other words, not really being solid in what we believe. Yeah, it can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, but let's go back to the word. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's keep studying. I, yeah, I mean, but uh, I think sometimes our arrogance is such and our pride is such that we don't even listen to people's arguments. Sometimes, yeah. That, that's, yeah. The, that's the danger of not being humble. Right, right. You know, why do you believe what you believe? And let them express it. Instead, I met, yeah. I met someone that, that um, actually, in a park, and we were talking about that, and this person said, you are the first Christian I've ever come across that actually listened to what <laughs> my questions were. And, and found it odd that someone would say, it's okay to question. It is okay it to is. question. It is? Yeah, God's not offended by your questions. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the Bible's going to answer every one of them. All right. We are, uh, we, we've got in a tradition of excellent singing at the end of the class. And, and the reason I, we're laughing is because none of us in the last few classes could sing. And yet we're trying to, at the end of the, each book, uh, at the end of each chapter, there's, there's a hymn or a contemporary song. And uh, I was hoping we could sing Standing on the Promises tonight. While we're sitting on the premises. <laughs> While we're sitting on the premises, let's stand on the promises. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, and so... Um, I know Anna's here tonight. <laughs> Woo yeah, so it's on page 83, the, the words, so you won't see the notes there, but this is a familiar enough hymn. Let's, let's close with this hymn.
Anna, could could you start us off, please? <laughs> sure. Standing on, on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. Verse 4. <laughs> promises that cannot fall listening every moment to the spirit's call resting in my savior as my all in all standing on the promises of god standing 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 on the promises of god my savior Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Amen. You can come back, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> Could somebody close us in prayer, please? Send us on our way home. <laughs> it's hard to follow that hymn. <laughs> somebody pray for us, please. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your holiness, God. I pray that as we go throughout our week that we would see you, that we would get close to your glory, that you would show us your glory. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, change us to be more like your son, Jesus. Amen. As we study your word, as we look into your word. And Father, show us your glory as we look into your word. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.